0: among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Alright, well I do hope that you have your Bibles open to uh, Romans chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 7. uh, As we continue our study of the book of Romans, and uh, particularly this Opening introductory passage. Uh, We won't always spend this much time on such a few number of verses, but so much in these opening verses is foundational to the whole rest of the letter uh, that it's hard not to spend time dwelling and meditating on uh, a lot of these things. And so uh, I want us to begin this way I want you to imagine that you're on a ship in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean and that the ship that you are on is sinking. People are running everywhere, panicking, not sure what to do. In our imaginary scenario, there are no lifeboats, there are not even any life vests. People are terrified as the boat begins to go down. Some are praying, some are running in every direction, trying to find something they can do to help the situation. Some stand quietly by just waiting for the inevitable. Some are hysterical, they're screaming, they're refusing to be comforted. And in the heart of everyone on the ship is this realization. We are all about to die. Then suddenly, a man comes running by you on the ship. And as he runs by, he's yelling out this message. Get to the rear of the ship. Help has come. There is a rescue boat waiting. Get to the rear of the ship. Here's my question. Does merely hearing that message save you? No. Does merely believing that the message that that person is screaming as they run by, does merely believing that message save you? No. It's when you act on that message and actually run to the rear of the ship and step onto that rescue boat that you are truly saved. Well, That's exactly how it is with the Gospel. When God brings us by His grace to the point of realizing that we are lost and perishing and on our way to hell, Then the message comes to us as fantastic news. Help has come. But merely hearing the message does not save us. And merely believing that the facts of the message are true does not save us. It is only when we act on the good news and run to Jesus, resting in Him, throwing ourselves off of this sinking ship and into His arms of safety, then we are truly saved. I want to stress this. We are not ultimately saved by a message. We are saved by a person. And His name is Jesus Christ. The Gospel is the good news, the good message concerning Jesus, God's Son, and the Gospel has not been given merely to inform you. Education is not the goal of the Gospel. The Gospel is given to you, not only so that you will know about Jesus, but so that you will know Jesus. The gospel was given not so that you will just simply hear that there is a Savior, but so that you will run to that Savior and know Him as your own Savior. The gospel tells us about Jesus so that we will act on the gospel, believe it, and then run to the Savior of the gospel, Jesus, who is the center of the gospel, and that we will take Him as our own King, our own rescuer, our own friend. And so as we continue talking about the gospel here in these verses and about Jesus, the question is not mainly this, do you know these things? It's not the main question. The main question is this, do you know Him? Do you know the Jesus that is being described in the gospel? Is He the Jesus you belong to? We saw a few weeks ago That the gospel is a message concerning the Son of God. That was the beginning of verse 3. See it? The gospel is a message concerning the Son of God, right? Uh, Verse 1, Paul set apart for the gospel of God... That gospel was promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures. And that gospel is concerning his son. The message of the gospel centers on Jesus Christ. Now, in verses 3 and 4, we learn what this message about Jesus includes. And there are two parts. There is the humiliation of Jesus. Not humiliation is in being embarrassed, your cheeks blush. That's not the humiliation I mean. I'm talking about humiliation in the old meaning of the word. It means being humbled, being brought low. In verse 3, we have the humiliation of Jesus. And then verse 4, there is the exaltation of Jesus. The gospel will always include these two truths Jesus was humbled for our sakes, Jesus was exalted for our sakes. Verse 3 is the humbling of Jesus, He was descended from David according to the flesh as the incarnation as Jesus giving up the glories of heaven and coming to earth as a baby in a manger and then verse 4 is the exalting of Jesus he was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead Jesus Christ our Lord Jesus was brought low Jesus was lifted up. And nowhere has this been more beautifully expressed than in Philippians 2. Let me read to you, just listen to Philippians 2, verses 6 through 8. This is the humbling of Jesus. Jesus, though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made Himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's the humbling of Jesus. And then Paul continues with the exaltation of Jesus. Philippians 2, 9-11, Therefore, because of all that, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Church, we need to hear this. Romans 6, whenever we get there, will not make sense if we don't get this. And I want you to get Romans 6. Because it's all about your spiritual life and your battle with sin and your desire to be holy. We've got to get this. These are two modes of Jesus' existence since He became the God-man. First, He was the Son of God, humbled, despised, betrayed, murdered. Then, now, he is the Son of God, exalted, empowered, honored, proclaimed. Look with me at Romans 1.3. Jesus was descended from David according to the flesh. It is no small thing that Jesus was descended from David. Both Joseph and Mary could claim David as their forefather. Biologically, Jesus came from Mary, and therefore he was biologically descended from David. In that day, genealogies were kept along the line of the Father. The temple records were kept along the line of the Father. And so legally, through Joseph, Jesus was a descendant of David, both biologically and according to the temple records, Jesus was a descendant of David. And this is important because Paul has just been teaching us in verse 2 that his gospel is the same as that gospel taught in the Old Testament. Paul has just been saying, my message is not some new thing, but what you find in the prophets of the Old Testament, the message that they they preached of a Messiah to come, that is the same message that I proclaim. My message is that Jesus is that Messiah. And this is exhibit A, that His message is the same as the message of the Old Testament prophets. Because everyone knew that the message of the Old Testament prophets was that the Messiah to come would be a descendant of David. And so Paul was saying, don't you see, my message is not different. It's not, I'm not come preaching some new heresy. This is the, the truth. This is the fulfillment of what was promised. Jesus is that Messiah. Now, for most people, to be a descendant of King David would have been a great honor. It was something to be proud of. I come from the royal line of the greatest king Israel ever knew. But for Jesus, being a descendant of David was not an honor, but a way in which he was humbled. It was a big step downward for Jesus to come as a man, a descendant of David. Remember, David is not greater than Jesus. Jesus created David. Jesus calls David to be all that he ever was. Jesus is the Son of God. How does being a son of David compare with being the Son of God? Jesus is God. And yet he fulfilled the Old Testament Scriptures by humbling himself and entering into his own creation as a descendant of David. Now, do not miss the words, according to the flesh. These words are so important. According to the flesh. What Paul is saying is that Jesus was David's son in this way. According to the flesh, he was David's descendant, which implies that there's some other way in which he was not. According to the flesh, Jesus was David's son. But Jesus is not just flesh. Jesus is not just man. He is also God. And in that way, he is David's creator. He is David's Lord. In fact, we need to be very, very clear about this. Jesus was not always a descendant of David, Jesus existed before David was ever thought about. Jesus has always existed, he is eternal. Christmas was not the beginning of the existence of Jesus. He has always been. There has never been a time when the Son was not. Remember John 1? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we know that that's referring to Jesus because verse 14 says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. In Colossians 1.16, we're told that it was by Jesus that all things were created. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He is the image of God proceeding forth from Him. As long as there has been God the Father, there has been God the Son. He is eternal. Throughout eternity past, Jesus existed with His Father and with the Holy Spirit. One in three, three in one, glorious and majestic, the members of the Trinity finding infinite delight in one another, and yet as a part of our salvation, Jesus left the glories of the pre-creation heaven and came to earth and took upon Himself human flesh. Now, by the way, you've got to know this. This is so important. When Paul talks about Jesus coming in the flesh, he's not talking about skin. I mean, yes, Jesus took on human skin. But the word flesh is one of the most theologically packed words in all of the Bible. The word flesh refers to human nature. It refers to... Cursed human nature. The flesh is the opposite of the Spirit. It's the opposite of living in the Spirit with the blessings of God upon you. You see, Paul speaks of these two, the flesh and the Spirit, the same way he speaks of the old man and the new man, the the old creation and the new creation. Remember our study of Genesis. Genesis. In the beginning, God made a covenant with Adam that basically said, Adam, if you keep my commandment, you and the world will be blessed. But if you break my commandment, you and the world will be cursed. Adam sinned, and ever since, all human beings in this world have been under a curse. People die. Animals die. There is sickness and cancer. Tragedies natural disasters. The world that we live in, because it is cursed, is slowly dying. If Jesus were not to return first, eventually our Son is going to age and die out. And if that happens, all life on earth will die. Long before that ever happens, it is likely that the earth will enter into another ice age or another period of warmth that is too extreme for life on earth to survive. Long before that happens, it is likely that mankind would destroy itself with the technology and weapons that we've developed. This is the world we live in after the curse. We live in a world prone to destruction. We live in a world that is slowly falling apart, and Jesus entered into this world. Not only did he enter into it, he became a part of it. He took on himself. Human nature. Cursed human nature. Oh, He was sinless. Jesus was holy, harmless, undefiled. He never sinned Himself, but He took on frail, falling apart, broken human nature. Suddenly, Almighty God was subject to pain and suffering. Sickness and disease. Cold and hunger. The immortal God could now die. He could have skin ripped off his back and saliva spit into his face. Thorns pressed into his brow and nails hammered through his hands and feet. And why did Jesus come in the flesh? Why was he humbled like this? Get this, it's so important. This is the connection between these verses in Romans 6. Jesus came in the weakness of the flesh with all of the consequences of the fall on Himself so that He could take our curse to the grave and leave it there. Jesus died a part of the old creation. He arose the first of the new creation. Hear it again. That Jesus came in the flesh does not just mean that he had skin. It means that he took on himself fallen human nature. He never sinned himself, but he made himself a son of Adam, a part of cursed humanity. And then he took that cursed humanity to the tomb. He died in the flesh and he rose in the spirit so that there is no more suffering. No more sickness, no more pain, no more death for Jesus. It changed at the resurrection. Before he could experience all of that, now he is perfected the consequences of the fall taken away. Jesus rose a glorified and perfect human being, empowered by the Holy Spirit, pure in mind, heart and soul. And this is good news for you if you're a Christian. Because this is for you too. Notice verse 3, Jesus comes, a descendant of David, according to the flesh. In verse 4, He rises from the dead according to the Spirit. See the, the parallel? Incarnation, flesh, resurrection, Spirit. When we are born again, when we are given a new heart, when we are saved and united to Jesus, what happened to Jesus at His resurrection happens to us. Our fleshly way of living is counted dead and we now live in the Spirit. Our old mode of existence under the curse is gone and our new mode of existence under the blessings of God begin. We are no longer a perishing people, but a saved people. We are no longer under God's wrath, but secure in His grace. Our Savior loved us so much that He humbled Himself and came and died in the flesh so that we too might die in the flesh and be made new, alive in the Spirit. I know this is tough, church. I know this is one of the most theologically dense sermons I've preached in a long time. So I need you to try and get this. Do you understand what it means for Jesus that He died a part of the old creation? And rose a part of the new creation. And do you understand what it means for you? The Bible does not just tell us who Jesus is. The Bible tells us who we are. Right? The Bible tells us who we are as Christians. Listen to Paul in Romans 6, 5-11. Tell us who we are as Christians. And as you hear this, hear this as, as one standing at the feet of God, letting God tell you, this is who you are. Listen. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Do you hear what's being said about you? your old human nature enslaved to sin because of the curse is now counted dead in Christ Jesus it is gone here is the application if you are a Christian you have no reason to continue living according to the flesh Jesus came in the flesh and died in the flesh so that you would no longer live in the flesh Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Romans 8.8 You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if the Spirit of God dwells in you. Romans 8.9 Friends, hear this somber warning and this glorious promise. Romans 8.13 If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit You put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You say, Justin, this is over my head. I I don't get all this flesh stuff. I don't get all this spirit stuff. Well, friends, you need to get it because if you live according to the flesh, you will die. When I read a verse like that, it tells me I need to know what that means. You say, no longer can you say, if you're a Christian, no longer can you say, I can't do it. No longer can you say, oh, I hate this sin in my life, but you know, I'm enslaved to it. I can't beat it. I guess I'll just have to keep doing this till I die. No longer can we talk like that. That attitude is unchristian. It dishonors all that Jesus did for you. It is spiritually dangerous. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But you don't have to live that way anymore. You are not of the flesh, but of the Spirit if you are Christ. Justin, what are you talking about? What do you mean live according to the flesh and live according to the Spirit? Remember your Bible. The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgy, things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit. Is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. Against such things there is no law. Listen. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. It's from Galatians. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. Do you belong to Jesus? Have you crucified your old way of living? Have you died to who you used to be? Jesus was crucified in the flesh so that we too could have our flesh crucified and walk in newness of life. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. And now, because of what Jesus has done, God has given us that spirit, that spirit that now empowers Christ, that spirit that now has exalted Christ, that spirit is now given to us and that spirit is killing in us all the remaining wickedness inside of us and it is cultivating holiness in us. The spirit of God is at work in us. Love, replacing hatred, cultivating forgiveness and killing bitterness, generosity, replacing greed, Contentment replacing lust, gratitude replacing jealousy, humility replacing pride. This is what God is doing in your life through the Spirit if you are His. Oh, I hope you know who you are as a Christian. Are you in step with the Spirit? Are you cooperating with the Spirit, doing all you can to grow and mature? If you are saved, your flesh is counted dead. No longer are you a slave to lust or greed or gluttony. You are not a slave, so don't live like a slave. Don't chain yourself again to those things. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Live in the victory that Jesus has accomplished for you. He's given you the Spirit so that now you can say, I can do all things through Christ Jesus. Are you hating your sin, reading the Bible, praying, getting other Christians involved in your life who are holding you accountable? Are you striving with all you are for your own good and the good of those around you and the glory of God to no longer live the way you once lived? That's what the Spirit is doing in your life. It's making you different. He's making you Christ-like. He's making you holy. He's killing your flesh. Are you cooperating with the Spirit? Are you walking with the Spirit? Or are you fighting against the Spirit? Are you acting as if Jesus has not set you free? When temptation comes into your life, do you just give in instead of fighting? I'm a slave. Are you making a mockery of the cross? Are you trying to chain yourself again to sin, to make it your master and you its servant? Brothers and sisters, Jesus came according to the flesh so that your old way of living, with all of your selfishness and pride and and all of those things are dead. They are counted dead. There is no reason why you have to live that way anymore. Believe what the Bible says Christ has done for you. Reckon yourself dead to sin and start living according to the Spirit. Oh, I'm not saying you're going to be perfect. We're not, are we? We're going to stumble. We're going to fall. But friends, we have no reason to be wimpy Christians. We are not to just throw ourselves headlong to the world or the flesh or the devil and say, I'm defeated. I can't beat this sin. I can't fight this bitterness in my heart. I can't get rid of this pride. I can't lose this selfishness and just give in. I'm just going to live my life. I'm just going to float along in these sins as if Jesus died for nothing. Folks, Jesus didn't just die to save you from the consequences of your sin. He saved us, died to save you from your sin. From its power over you. From its presence in your life. And we make a mockery of him when we walk around as if that's not the case. Alright, three questions to consider as we close. And we'll talk more about this tonight. Three questions to consider. One. Question one is actually a group of questions, but Do you know that as a Christian the power of sin over your life has been broken and that the Spirit lives within you? Do you know that you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength? Do you know that God has promised to give you all the grace you need to escape any temptation, that there is always a way out? Do you know who you are? Believe what the Bible says about you. You are free from sin. You are empowered to live a holy life bringing glory to Jesus. Do you believe that? That's question one. Question two. If you know all that to be true, then is there some sin in your life that though Jesus died so that you would put that sin to death, you are choosing instead to give yourself to it, to nurture it, to give it free reign in your life? Is your heart like a village surrounded by walls and Christ has given you the power to keep sin out, but there's this one sin or maybe a group of sins and, and whenever they come tempting you, you just open the gate and little man. What sin are you choosing to be defeated by? I worded that very carefully. What sin are you choosing to be defeated by? It doesn't have to defeat you. Christ died so that it wouldn't. Question three. If you've come to understand that Jesus humbled himself and died not only to save you from the consequences of sin, but from the power and presence of sin today, are you beginning to see that come true in your life? In your life as a Christian, are you seeing the Holy Spirit defeat sins in you? Are patience and kindness and love growing in your soul? And if that's happening in you, if if your flesh is being crucified and the Spirit is making you like Jesus, if the the results of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection are now being experienced in your life, that your old self is being killed and your new self is being made, if that is happening in your life, are you rejoicing and are you giving glory where glory is due? Are you thankful? Listen to this. Every moment in which you say a kind word or do the right thing or think a holy thought is a moment purchased for your benefit and the benefit of others and the glory of God at the cost of the blood of Jesus. Jesus died to make you a loving person. Jesus died so that you would be patient. Jesus died to make you humble. And every moment in which you or I come even close to being something like that is a moment purchased by the blood of Jesus. That's why we can't pat ourselves on the back. That's why we give honor and glory to our Savior. Amen? So thank Him. Love Him. Give Him the glory. Worship Him. Praise Him. The gospel is the good news that we in our sinfulness can be saved not only from hell, but from our own fallen human nature, our own flesh. We are made new because Jesus came in the flesh, took it to the grave, and left it there. And He rose again, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, a Savior to all who will call on Him. Are you calling on Him? Are you resting in Him? Are you living in the power that He provides? If you're not, don't continue to live as a slave to yourself. But turn to Jesus. Be made free. Let's pray. It's so easy when we start talking about these theological words and ideas, flesh and spirit It's so easy to get lost. So Father, I ask right now that you would bring clarity to hearts and minds.